listening to another episode of the Beulah Girl podcast. For links, related resources, and even more encouragement, visit BeulahGirl.com. Hi, friend. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Beulah Girl podcast. I'm Carol Whitaker. I'm coming out of BeulahGirl.com. If you have not visited our site, I encourage you to do so. We are a site devoted to helping women find their identity in Christ. So a Christian site, all of our articles are biblically based, and we encourage you to check it out, BeulahGirl.com, if you have not done so. I kicked off a series a few weeks ago on Hebrews 12. And I've been talking just even before this series about the idea of not falling away in the faith. Um, But in this particular series, the first episode, I talked about attaining the promises of God and not allowing, uh, you know, um, obstacles to get us off course, just being diligent in those areas so that we can arrive at the place God has for us. In the last episode, I continued along that same idea, just talking about how we're not left alone in our journey and that we will get to places in our Christian walk where the obstacles are so great and our weaknesses seem so large that we don't know how we're ever going to make it to where God's leading us. But the last episode um, was just an encouragement to all of us that while we are warned in Hebrews 12 not to fall away in our faith, we are given the strength and power to keep on in our walk by remaining connected to Jesus. And so I talked about that last week. Tonight, to conclude our series, I want to continue talking about what we have in Jesus, not just a perfect example as one who ran the race of faith perfectly, he did that. But I also want to explore tonight just the idea of the power we are given as Christ followers to do the work that he has called us to do. So we have talked about some very hard ideas in this series, ideas of, you know, as far as the warnings that are in Hebrews and Hebrews 12, not to fall away from the faith. And those can come across as really severe. But with that warning is just the encouragement that we have with with in our relationship with Jesus. When we enter into relationship with him, we have the Spirit of God living within us to give us the power to do what he asks. So I want to talk about that tonight. When I was growing up, I often looked at the glossy magazines in the grocery stores and I looked at the models that were on these um, magazine covers and I used to feel when I was little that I could never be like these women on these magazine covers. The place where I was with my frizzy hair, not so perfect skin, and body that I thought at the time was way too skinny was nowhere near what I saw on those magazine covers and perceived to be as absolute perfection. Now, I have no idea how many hours were spent getting that model's hair perfect, 
getting just the right lighting. Now um, we have even airbrushing and things like that to make models look much better than they even do in real life. But I just remember that though these models were most likely put on these covers to inspire people to read the magazine and maybe even give them the idea that they would end up looking like this if they implemented some of the tips given in some of these magazines concerning hair and, and makeup and so forth, they might end up looking like the model on the front. I'm not really sure, but these kind of models did not really do much to inspire me as much as they sort of just discouraged me in that I felt like I could never be like them. But in our society, we see perfect models everywhere, not just on the covers of magazines, but you can walk into most major department stores and you'll see mannequins that have very slim bodies with perfectly pressed clothes on them to inspire us to buy the outfits that are on these mannequins. You see uh, models as far as if you're buying a house, a lot of times they'll have a model home you can walk through. And these model homes do not have pet damage, do not have crumbs on the floor from kids, do not have toy clutter everywhere. They are pristine. They look, you know, every room looks immaculate. There's no mess anywhere. And it inspires us to, you know, somehow into thinking that if we buy the house that it's going to look like the model home. But oftentimes it, it doesn't because we can't afford the upgrades that are in the model home or we have you know, furniture that doesn't look anything like the model home, or we have, you know, children or pets that could make our home look a little uh, more worn, I should say, than the model home. Uh, but these models are given to us to inspire us, but often, as in the example I gave with the magazine, if they are too perfect or too far away from what we could ever attain ourselves, they may actually serve to discourage us. I give this example of magazines and talking about models because we are given a model for our faith in Hebrews 12. Jesus is given as a model and he is a perfect model. But if we dive into what it's saying in the passage, what we're going to be left with isn't just this perfect unattainable model. This model in Jesus is different. Even though he's perfect, he will and does inspire us, which I'll share with you in a moment, um, rather than discourage us. But we do have to unpack a little bit and look into why he's more than just a perfect model. I want to just read to you these verses. I shared them in previous episodes, and I'm just sort of going to be drawing some new insights from the passage, but let's just remind ourselves. And honestly, if you're able to open right now, Hebrews 12, maybe on your phone, or you have a Bible nearby, it may be helpful because I'm going to be jumping around Hebrews 12 quite a bit. Or if you're able to just, you know, read it in your own time after this episode, it would be helpful because I'm going to be reading 
several several verses from it but in hebrews 12 1 and 2 it says therefore since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us fixing our eyes on jesus the pioneer and perfecter of faith for the joy set before him he endured the cross scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of god now before we even start talking about the perfect model we have in Jesus, which it mentions as the pioneer, he's the pioneer perfecter. Before we even get to that point, the author tells us that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Now, the author is, of course, referring to the great heroes of faith from chapter 11 of Hebrews. And these, as the NIV application commentary illuminates, these aren't given to us so much as to tell us that they are spectators, although that isn't an idea supported elsewhere in scripture that they, you know, we do have um, spectators of our faith, but it's more likely that it's saying here that these cloud of witnesses, this cloud of witnesses, they're mentioned because they bear witness to the Christian community of God's faithfulness and the effectiveness of faith. As F.F. Bruce is quoted as saying in the NIV commentary, it is not such so much they who look at us as we who look to them for encouragement. Now, before we're ever given the model of Jesus, we are reminded of other witnesses, um, other ones who have gone before who have run the race of faith in this cloud of witnesses. But it's telling us here, just sort of right off the bat, just that these individuals um, bear witness to how effective it is to listen to God and live a life of faith. So we're immediately sort of encouraged right away that a life of faith is one worth living. After the great cloud of witnesses is mentioned, Jesus is mentioned as the pioneer perfecter. He is the one perfect example of the faith that leads the rest of the pack. So he's in a league of his own. He was the only one who was able to ever run the race of faith perfectly. There were some great heroes mentioned in chapter 11 of Hebrews, heroes of the faith, but they were not able to run it perfectly the way Jesus was. Now, certainly when we see this phrase pioneer perfecter, we might immediately think, okay, he is the pioneer perfecter of our faith. And he certainly is that. He begins, you know, he, we can say he's, the, some translations say the author, um, the finisher of our faith. He certainly is. But if we really look at the wording here, we see that the meaning is not just one who begins and ends our faith, but one who, um, was the leader or pioneer of faith in general. The word our was added in some translations before faith. Um, I just read from the NIV, which that word isn't in there. But the original actually reads that he is the pioneer and perfecter of faith in general, or the faith. And if we look at it this way, we understand Jesus is more than just the helper in our race. He is the champion and forerunner of the faith who brought faith to its completion. So where there was the Israelites 
which I'm going to get to in a minute, were living under an imperfect system where they did not have assistance to conform to the standards of the law, Jesus ushered in a new covenant and brought faith to its completion in the sense that he made it possible for us to have help in our race, which I'm going to explain in the moment. And this changes everything. So I want to talk about Jesus as perfecter or finisher of the faith. If we skip down to verses 18 to 24 of Hebrews 12, it says this, For you, talking about believers, have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire to darkness, gloom, and storm. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. Now, I mentioned that these are verses 18 through 24, but I did not read them in their entirety. I just kind of pulled a few from that section. But basically, throughout the book of Hebrews, one of the ideas I've been emphasizing in this series is that the author of Hebrews has been attempting to persuade Jewish Christians of the time experiencing hardship and persecution not to leave the faith and giving them reasons why Christianity was far superior. Because some of them were going back to the Jewish faith and saying, you know what? I can't do this Jesus thing anymore. This is crazy. So the author is really making the argument throughout the book of Hebrews that Christianity is superior and also comparing the old covenant and the new and making the point that the new covenant is far superior. So when we look here and it says you have not come to a mountain that can be touched, can be touched here, it's talking about when the Jews were given the law at Mount Sinai, they could not touch the mountain, but they could um, it was, I guess you could say, touchable in a way that they actually did go to a physical place to receive the law. Mount Sinai was a physical place and it was tangible, um, the place that it was delivered to them. And they could not even look at the face of Moses when he returned from the, from the mountain after receiving the law because his face was glowing from being in the presence of God. And it was a very fearful, they were afraid um, of, of really Moses's face, um, that God in his holiness, although he's righteous and pure and all those things, that it was too much for them to even look at. It was fearful and there was um, dread surrounding it because the um, punishment was severe for those who did not live up to that very hard high standard and so it was hard and terrible um, in many ways for the humans um, struggling to live by the old testament law because they did not have the assistance to conform to it that um, we do in the new covenant however what this uh, passage is telling us is the law was only temporary and jesus brought with his death the new covenant and this is a new or better arrangement between God and believers. So when we enter into relationship because of what Jesus did, we are no longer at, at uh, Mount Sinai receiving that law, trying to live up to its standards. We no longer have to tremble at the words of God because we have come instead to Mount Zion. And Mount Zion is representative of really heavenly Jerusalem 
the place that is spiritual, that it's internal, the access we have to God and the freedom we have with with um, which we can approach his throne because of what God, um, Jesus did for us on the cross. And so we, under the new covenant, have commands to follow given us in scripture, but we have the spirit of God living within us that helps us and transforms us to be more and more like Jesus as we walk with him. So that passage here is telling us we are no longer at, at Mount Sinai. We are at Mount Zion and we are under a new covenant which offers us a way by which to follow God and listen and obey his commands. This idea of freedom we have in the new covenant is echoed in 2 Corinthians 3, 4 through 11. And I'm not going to be able to read all of that. I encourage you to go check it out on your own. But Paul begins by saying, Such confidence we have through Christ before God, not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. And if you continue on reading that passage, he goes on to basically compare, again, I encourage you to read it on your own, but it compares the um, the old covenant and the new. And again, kind of takes the reader back to the, um, the time when the law was given and what that meant and how it's different now because of what Jesus has done. But I just want to say that by saying such confidence we have in Christ through God, we are not competent in ourselves. Paul is, of course, defending himself as a minister, but he states that his ability and competency comes from God. He can't boast of anything in and of himself. And this is so important in relation to what we're talking about, because as I was sharing about last week, we come to places in our spiritual walk that are too hard or impossible for us. And we may think that we have to overcome those on our own. And when we try and we fail in our own strength, then we we may be tempted at that point to fall out of the race, so to speak, in our faith. And just say, you know what, we're done, God, because we can't get through what you want us to get through. Like, we've tried, we can't. We may be just so discouraged by how weak we are and how unable we are to get through what we need to get through but what it's telling us in this passage is that we do not have to be discouraged by our weakness because our competency is not in and of ourselves it's not a normal it's not abnormal for us to be this weak that elsewhere in scripture it tells us that god purposely uses um the the those who are weak all of us are weak he purposely uses us so that his power can be displayed so our weakness doesn't disqualify us but rather is an opportunity for him to display his power in us also if you continue reading further down this passage the old and new covenants are compared in a similar fashion to the passage i just read in hebrews 12:18 um, but what Paul is saying here is that really, again, making this, this similar argument that the old covenant has faded away, that it's inferior to the new covenant. And he, Paul actually says here 
in 2 Corinthians that the letter of the law kills. Because it was in trying to keep, you know, the law, the Israelites, if they didn't keep it, that they were given judgment and death. And now, similarly, even if we're under the old covenant or under the new covenant, if we try to keep the rigid commands of the Old Testament or on strength, we are, you know, we feel that sense of guilt, of shame, of condemnation. It doesn't bring life to us to try to somehow measure up by living up to those commands on our own. So it it really doesn't bring life to, to us. I want to just read to you what the IVP New Testament commentary says on this idea of the difference between the old and new te- covenants. A covenant that is letter in nature kills because it makes external demands without giving the inward power for obedience, while a covenant that is spirit in character gives life because it works internally to produce a change of nature. So the amazing thing about the gospel is it provides the way by which we can live as we should, whereas the law, which we are no longer under, just makes us feel guilty and condemned because we are continually reminded of a standard we can't live up to and continually frustrated because we don't have the power to live it out. But those of us who have accepted Jesus' work on the cross and live by his spirit live in freedom, it tells us that in 2 Corinthians 3.17. And that's much further down from where we just read. But again, as the IVP New Testament commentary illuminates, with Christ coming the spirit rather than sin becomes the controlling principle in the life of the believer. The power that was lacking under the old covenant is now there for us to be the kind of moral people God intended. So this, if you haven't gotten it yet, should be a eureka moment for you because we've been discussing this idea that Jesus, as the perfect example, if we don't understand that he is more than an example, that he also gives us the power to do his His will, that we could easily just be discouraged and fall away. And I've read from several commentaries here because I needed to do some study to understand these passages. But just this idea of not just having a perfect example that discourages is one that I ran into continually and am sort of basing the ideas of this talk on from different commentators, Alexander uh, McLaren, A.W. Pink um, was somebody I read quite quite a bit on, um, from him in this passage, I don't know that he talked about example, but definitely drew some ideas from him. Um, And also John, I believe it's John Owen, but just talking about um, mainly Alexander McLaren and John Owen talked a lot about the fact that Jesus isn't just given to us as like, here, perfect example, live up to it, guys. No, he's a perfect example, but he also gives us aid in our journey. And that is so exciting. And I touched on that, have already touched on that in this series. But here, I believe in comparing these Hebrews and 2 Corinthians, we're just really given this idea so clearly. I want to read to you what Alexander McLaren makes um, in his observation about Hebrews 12. Jesus, he is more than an example. He gives us power to copy his fair pattern. The influence of heroic, saintly lives may be depressing as well as encouraging. Despondency often creeps over us when thinking of them. It is not models that we want, 
for we all know what we ought to be. And an example of supreme excellence in morals or religions may be hurtful as the unapproachable superiority of Shakespeare's or Raphael may be to a young aspirant. Perfect patterns do not save the world. They do not get themselves copied. What we want is not the knowledge of what we ought to be, but the will and power to be it. And that we get from Christ and him alone. So McLaren just nails it here. And is hopefully the idea you're getting as you're listening is that Jesus isn't just this glossy, perfect picture on a magazine that we see and we realize how far we are away. Yes, we are far away. We are not Jesus, but we are given the power and the means through what he accomplished by dying on the cross and ushering in a new and better covenant. We have the spirit of God living in us that transforms us in our journey And if you're in a place where you don't feel like there's power and you don't feel transformed, we press into the truth that it tells us in scripture. We press into God. We tell him, hey, I don't feel like I'm changing here. What's going on? And we trust him in the process. Um, And fully, uh, it tells us, you know, in Hebrews 12 that we fix our eyes. And that's not just looking at Jesus. That is placing the full weight of our trust on him, that he will get us to where we are need to go i want to close with a story i had a conversation with a gentleman the other day and he was catholic and it was an interesting conversation because i couldn't really understand all of what he was telling me he um was not a native to the country, he um, spoke English as a second language, so it was difficult for me to kind of understand what he was saying at points. But we are talking about faith, and I was asking him what he believed in, and he said he had been raised as Catholic, and that he had been saved in the Catholic Church. Um, But he shared with me that he hadn't been going to church much because every time he went to a service, he got sick. And I didn't really understand what he meant. I thought, okay, you're getting sick going to church. That's odd. And so I asked him, you know, what he meant. And I was, you know, wasn't sure. And he gave me more details. And he explained that when he was going to church and he was sitting in mass, that he would begin to just sweat profusely, that he would feel such incredible guilt and condemnation in sitting there that it would literally make him ill during the service and he would feel sick even going home afterwards. And I can imagine that was why he was not going to church that much because it was so stressful for him. And he was also sharing that he was, even though he believed that he needed to uh, Jesus to be saved and had taken that step, he was looking into other religions because he felt like he needed more Um, to be able to ease some of the feelings of guilt and condemnation. And as he was talking, I just felt so sorry for him. And I shared with him Romans 8.1, which basically says we're under no condemnation as as Christ followers. I, I shared with him that he can confess his sins as a believer daily and know that he's forgiven. And whatever he was feeling so guilty about, which he did not share with me, But I told him that it could have no hold on him once he confessed his sin because of Jesus, Jesus's forgiveness and what it tells us in scripture about those of us who confess our sin 
And when we're believers, he is faithful and just to forgive us. Sure, there are times we might need to follow up with a person um, with an apology if we've hurt someone or, you know, there might be a, a component um, of having to go to someone um, and following up. But the moment we ask Jesus for forgiveness, we are forgiven because of what he's done on the cross. Of course, it was really easy for me to share that with the gentleman because I knew it to be true. I know the verses inside and out that tell us we are not under condemnation. Romans 8.1 is my favorite Bible verse. But after the conversation, I, well, and even sort of during the conversation, even as I was saying the words, it was a little ironic for me because quite honestly, the conversation I had with him, I had to acknowledge to myself that there are times, even knowing the message of the gospel and even having experienced so many times the grace of Jesus Christ, there have been times where, like this gentleman I was talking to, that I have literally felt sick to my stomach or felt a sense of dread and terror in reading certain passages of Scripture because I realize how far away I am from, from what God requires. And... Similarly, you listening may feel that too sometimes, that you may read certain passages of scripture and be seized with terror. You may listen to some of the warnings that can be very severe. And you may feel like you maybe have gone too far or Jesus can't forgive you once again, or he just doesn't want to be bothered with you because you keep failing. But none of those things are true. What hopefully I've been able to drive home in this passage by reading these passages of scripture in Hebrews 12 and 2 Corinthians. It's just this idea that we are able to approach God at any time, that we are able to get to where we need to go in our journey because of what Jesus has accomplished for us. Matthew 11, 28, 30, I'm reading from the message. It says this, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. This is Jesus talking. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn how to live freely and lightly. We don't have to be left in a place of hopelessness and despair because we know what we should to do to change and yet feel we are helpless to do it. What it's telling us in this passage is Jesus beckons those of us who are burdened, maybe by our own religious legalism and our own striving to measure up. When we're burdened, we can come to him. We can take his yoke upon us. That doesn't mean we don't have hard things to do. We will. But we are not instructed to go and just do those without him. He walks with us. He yokes in with us. And we find rest when we go his way with him. Not by trying to somehow in our own strength meet the requirements of the law. Which Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians brings death. It kills We've been talking in this series about some really hard topics. And even before that, 
just about the trials we go through, about hard things that we suffer in our faith, about being diligent and not falling away. We've been talking about warnings in scripture that tell us not to be lazy in our spiritual walk. And those are hard to examine because it may make us paranoid about the places that we're having difficulty and the places where we feel like we can't change. But here in these passages in Hebrews, we're given not just a warning to be diligent, but we're given encouragement that we have come to Mount Zion, we have come to um, the city of God, that we have a capable Savior who is leading us and also sharing our burden. So nothing we do in His will, nothing that, um, and I'm borrowing this from somewhere, I don't remember where I read this, but nothing that God asks us to do is that which we can't do when we rely on His strength. So let's pray. Lord, sometimes the words of scripture can be so hard to read and they may make us afraid. They may make us sweat. We may be in a sermon and all we feel is just the guilt, but Lord, you don't, you don't condemn us. It says in scripture that Jesus, you came to save, not to condemn. You came to give us a way out of our sin. So in those times when we're discouraged because we can't change ourselves, we can't fix it, we can't we can't solve our own problems when it comes to sin, we can turn to you. We don't have to believe lies that we're never going to measure up, we're never going to make it, we're never going to get through. Because the truth is that you give us in scripture is that you are the finisher of the faith you finished and made possible um, for us so that we could be in right relationship with God so we could have access to God and have the Holy Spirit living in us enabling us to do your will so thank you Lord for what you've done for us help us to always remember that in those places where we want to turn away from you where we're not sure if we can make it through when we feel just ourselves drifting that we can turn to you and say, Jesus, help, and you help us get to where we need to be, a place we can never get to on our own. In Jesus' name, amen.